Hey everybody! Is Christianity for the unintelligent? Is the question for today's podcast. In other words, is it only the stupid, the people who don't think with their brains, who accept Christianity? Is it only those who lack mental capacity who believe in God? Now, I believe it's actually the opposite. Join me as I talk a little bit about that today on this podcast. Welcome, guys. It's wonderful to have you listen in. This is Fishing for Men with Mac. And here by me, it's Wednesday, 20 September 2022. Coming to you from Sweet Home in Oregon in the USA. We live in a time where the atheist seems to think that if you believe in Jesus and if you believe in God and if you believe in things like the resurrection, you are sub-intelligent. It's like people don't think you need to be taken seriously, that you are somehow irrational, that there's something wrong with you, that you are delusional. That you don't think straight. There's a great trend out there from the atheist community to just, the moment you say you believe in God, it's like, are are you insane? You obviously don't think straight. People tend to think that Christianity is anti-science. And people seem to think that science disproves God. When you look at these great debates and people can go forward and they can ask questions to theists, they would often come sort of with this angle. Now that we know that your religion is not true because of the rise of science, it's so interesting that there are actually people who believe that science has somehow or another disproved the existence of God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, It is exactly the opposite. And if you read, and if you know your stuff, and if you are objective, then you know that this is true. Science has never disproved God. Science has never been able to prove that God does not exist. Science has not been able to prove that the events in the Bible did in fact not happen. And there's also another problem that is developing for those who are claiming that Christianity or some faith is reserved for the stupid people of society. And this is the problem that there are some great intellectuals, there are some great thinkers in our world who believe in God. One of the greatest minds of the last few hundred years is that, for example, of Einstein, Albert Einstein. Did you know that Einstein believed in God? Now that puts us in a little bit of a pickle. Here we can all acknowledge that he is one of the greatest minds of the 20th 20th century, and yet he still believed in God. So after all, it's possible to believe in God and also be intellectual. How did he manage to do that? Guys like Jordan Peterson is causing some problems as well. A highly respected intellectual psychologist who hasn't really come out to say that he's a Christian or not, but he's sort of indicated he has some type of belief in God. In actual fact, one of the texts that he uses most often to teach is that from the Bible. He himself uses the Bible to indicate its great miraculous power. 
What about some of the political guys? What about guys like Ben Shapiro? I doubt there's hardly anybody that would say, well, Ben Shapiro is an unintellectual person, yet he's a person who believes in God. What about guys like Charlie Kirk? Oh, you love, you love the things that he says about the politics, right? If you're a conservative, you would say, well, he's a very intelligent guy. I mean, I think what he has done with his life is incredible. He's a young man and he started, you know, turning point and it's just incredible what he has done and people respect his intellect. But still they would say, well, it's only stupid people who believe in God. Well, Charlie Kirk believes in God. What about guys like Matt Welsh? I mean, the guy who made the documentary about what is what is women. These, you know, are all these people, are they all just stupid? In actual fact, I would be as bold as to say that the most intellectual people in this country, the people that actually make a difference in this country, actually believe in the existence of God. Now, this afternoon, I, I met an interesting lady. Uh, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, I go into the office and, and this lady is there. She's sort of the, the secretary and very interesting. And I, I sit down and I have a conversation with her. I don't know her really from a bar of soap. And, and so we go into different aspects of life. And I ask her, are you happy? She says, no. I ask her, Ma'am, when last did you cry? She says, this morning. Now, you might be thinking, Michiel, I mean, why do you ask people these types of questions? Hey, because I care about them and I find them interesting and fascinating. And I care about their hearts and I'd like to know what's going on in their lives. I'd like to get to the roots of who they are. Are they really happy? You know, what, what's the purpose of their existence? And so I ask, okay, so you say you cried this morning and you say that you're not happy. What is making you unhappy? And it basically boiled down to this. I don't know if I have enough money. I don't know if I can pay all the bills. I don't know if I have enough for retirement. I've got an operation coming. I'm worried about the future. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this leave that I'm looking forward to so that I can have this operation. I ask her, do you ever feel lonely? She says, yes. I ask her, do you believe in God? Guess what she says? No, she doesn't believe in God. And I didn't ask her to elaborate. I really didn't want to challenge her. And she started explaining to me that she went to church as a kid. And there was a preacher in the church. But when he left, just everything in that church went pear-shaped. Everything just went downhill. And since then, the idea of God has just been a no-go for me. And what I find interesting when you talk to people like this is that you come to realize that people who reject God, usually they've had a bad experience with church. They haven't really had a bad experience with God. They've had a bad experience with church. They've had a bad experience with people. And certainly it's the case in this instance. Maybe if she had a better experience at the church, she probably would have had a different view of God. And secondly, what I've also picked up is that people who reject God are generally unhappy and they are alone. Here's this lady, she admits she's unhappy, she's alone, she doesn't have joy. But I've also realized a third thing, and it's so easy to see it. People who reject God haven't thought everything through well. 
It's not the people who have thought everything through well who end up being atheists. And you would assume that. Many atheists would assume that. They would think that, oh, well, the reason why you are a Christian or the reason why you still believe in God is because you haven't thought everything through well. For example, so I sit with this lady and she doesn't believe God exists. And so I told her about the four great questions of life that every person has to ask. And I didn't tell her this question because I'm trying to convert her. I just told her these questions because I think it's what every responsible human being should do. We spoke about those four things like origin, where do we come from and, and meaning, what's the purpose of life. And she didn't really have anything to say there. And then when I got to morality, how do we determine what's good and bad? Then she had a few things to say about that. And th that's a, a little bit of a point where things went pear-shaped. And she, she sort of said to me, hey, but, you know, we know what's right and wrong because we've been taught through the church or through our family members or other people. It comes from outside of us. And then I said to her, hey, but... That's not really the truth because um, people who are Muslims and people who are Hindu, Hindus and people who are Buddhists and people who believe in nothing, they all agree that killing somebody is probably a bad thing, that that's a moral dilemma. Most people on the planet would all agree stealing something is wrong and committing adultery is something wrong and that it causes pain. And so I continued to explain to her that we are not like the animals. We don't go around just killing each other. And then she wanted to explain to me, yeah, but in Africa, lions kill impala to eat them and, and whatever. So you can't really use animals. Oh, no, no, I can use animals. Because if, we are, if God does not exist, then we are all just animals and we are products of evolution. And there should be no right or wrong. The animals in the field, they don't pause for a moment and think, you know, is it wrong for me to kill this animal? Now, you might say, well, well, I kill for food. Okay, that's that's fine. But that's not what all animals do, ladies and gentlemen. What do we find? We find dogs fighting each other. We find dogs killing each other. We find meerkat killing all of their children. If, if we are just animals, what's wrong with just killing our children? Why can't we just do it? What about sharks? You get male sharks who copulate female sharks, in other words, rape them. So if animals, if sharks in the ocean can rape, then why can't we? What makes it wrong for humans, but right for animals? How do we make sense of that? And I could see she was struggling a little bit with that. And she, sort of she went then into a direction. Yeah, but what you believe is private. And, and, and sort of she was trying to get away from this uncomfortable situation. Because why, ladies and gentlemen? Because it's irrational. It's irrational. It's actually unreasonable. It's more unreasonable to believe there is no God than to believe that there is a God. Ladies and gentlemen, life does not make sense if God does not exist. If there is no God. Life really doesn't make sense. Then morality doesn't make sense. Then why are there rules and stuff in society? There is no moral basis for morality in evolution. There is no reason why one person would want to do anything good to somebody else um, if we are just animals. So Christianity is for reasonable people. Christianity is for rational people. Well, someone might say, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you got this wrong. It's unreasonable to believe in God. You've never touched him. You've never seen him. It's unreasonable to believe in him. Okay. <clears throat> if that is so unreasonable, what about the opposite? If God didn't create us, 
then we evolved simply from animals, like I said. And so why don't we just go ahead and behave like animals then? If God doesn't exist, then what is the purpose of life? If God didn't create, then how did everything came to be from nothing? How do you explain that? And people say, well, you don't need faith to be an atheist. Of course you need faith to be an atheist. You need more faith to be an atheist than to be a theist. Okay? <laughs> it, think about it. Think about it for a moment. So there was nothing and suddenly there's something. And there's a puddle of water on this something that came from nothing. And nobody knows how it got there. And from that puddle of water or puddle of mud, there develops a living organism from something lifeless to something that has life. And from that develops a fish that eventually turns into some type of land animal that eventually turns into a human. How much faith do you need for that? That has never been observed on the planet. People say, oh, but science has proved this to be true. No, science hasn't. And if you, if you don't know that, you've you got, you got a lot of reading go, to go do up. There are lots and lots and lots of gaps in much of evolutionary thinking today. Evolution is definitely true to a certain extent. Um, it is true that species evolve the, and that, that has been determined through their environment and that's related to eye color and that type of things because species adapt to the environment. And so there is a sense in which evolution is true. But the type of evolution that most people believe is a fact is simply not true. There's just no um, clear example. We've never seen the process of, of evolution take place straight in front of us from nothing to something that has never existed. And so we are therefore sitting with a big problem. The atheist cannot prove God doesn't exist. You can't prove that. Therefore, the atheist actually just believes that God doesn't exist. He doesn't have evidence that God doesn't exist, but he believes it. And so he believes that by faith. He's, he bases his belief not on evidence, but on faith alone. So both, whether you're an atheist or whether you're a theist, you believe that, not based on the evidence. You are, it's a faith statement. Either you want there to be a God or you don't want there to be a God. Either you've thought through the questions or you haven't. Now, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis? If you haven't, I would really challenge you to go and read up on this guy and get his books. If you can get hold of his books and if you can find anything about him, go do that. If you go on the, on the Internet and you type in some famous quotes, you would see that C.S. Lewis comes up a lot. He was one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. Now, he was at one time an atheist. And his key objection was this, that if God existed, the world would be different. It's almost the same idea as this. If God is all powerful and all loving, why is there so much suffering in the world? That was his thinking. He thought to himself, it's impossible for God to exist if, 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 if the world is like this. And the only explanation that he got, therefore, is that God doesn't exist. This world sort of tells me that there cannot be a God. Because if he was all powerful, he would change things. And if he was all loving, he would really make sure that change happens. Because then there wouldn't have been all this pain and suffering. And of course, the problem with this view is the assumption that we could think like gods. This needs to sink in, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes, yeah, and, and, and I want you to, to watch it. You know, sometimes people who don't believe in God, they would often walk around and say, hey, you know what, if I was God, that's essentially what they're saying. I would run the world like this or like that. Really? Let me look at your life. 
You can't even run your own life properly. Here's this lady. I'm sitting with her. Her life is a mess. She's unhappy. She's been running her own life for the last 40 years. And it's a mess. You can't even run your own life. But you think that if you were God, this is the way that you would have run it. And we are so clever. We can run the world better than God. How come we are never satisfied with our presidents and leaders? How come our presidents can't even keep everybody happy? If they are, we've voted for them. They can't even keep everybody happy. It's like Jordan Peterson says, you can't even run your own life well, but you think that you'll be able to run the universe. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no human on this earth that can run the universe properly. Not even our presidents, our presidents can't do it. We can't even run our own families, our own lives well. Now, in any case, this C.S. Lewis guy, he was a lay theologian and an author. He wrote the book, The Chronicles of Narnia. Now, you might have seen the movie. Yes, C.S. Lewis. He wrote that story, right? He was baptized in the Church of Ireland, but he became an atheist during his teenage years. At age 32, he accepted Christ and he spent the rest of his life writing philosophically about God. He is, in my opinion, and many others, the greatest theological philosopher of the 20th century. If you are an atheist listening to this podcast, believe you me, this guy has asked every question that you've ever asked. The only difference is he's thought through it properly and he's come to a powerful conclusion. And if you want a balanced perspective and you don't believe in God, go read his stuff. Go see how he answers your objections to God's existence. Go consult a great mind, not just your own. So he became an atheist at the age of 15. But it was a strange atheism that he later described. It was sort of paradoxically because uh, paradoxical atheism because he said that he was very angry with God for not existing and equally angry with him for creating a world. His early separation from Christianity began when he started to view his religion as a chore and a duty. Let that sink in once again. The reason why C.S. Lewis, this great mind, decided, I don't want to believe in God anymore is because of the church. Christianity had become a chore and a duty to him. It was also at this time that he started finding interest in the occult. His strongest argument for his atheism was this. Had God designed the world, it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see. In other words, C.S. Lewis has got the same idea as many atheists. Well, I could run the world better than he can. But Lewis later on, especially while being at Oxford University, were influenced by Christians and some books that he had read. He vigorously resisted conversion and noted that he was brought into Christianity like a prodigal, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. He described his evening of, of conversion like this. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen. It's a college in Oxford. Night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. 
perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. That is how he describes his conversion. He didn't want to convert, but he couldn't ignore the presence, the call, and the rationality of God. He was an Anglican to the end of his life, reflecting that he had initially, initially attended church only to receive communion and had been repelled by the hymns and the poor quality of the sermons. Here's this guy who says, you know what, I went to church. I believed in God, but it wasn't fun going to church. He later came to consider himself honored by worshiping with men of faith who came in shabby clothes and work boots and who sang all the verses to all the hymns. Any case... Lewis, in one of his books, wrote about the hiddenness of God. Now, I've done a podcast previously on this. And for in case you don't know what the hiddenness of God is about, it's basically an argument. It's an argument that atheism often brought to the forefront when it asks the question, why does God not just come down from heaven and show everybody face to face who he is? If God comes down from heaven right now and stands next to me and shows himself to me, I will believe that he is God. I will fall down on my knees and I will worship him. I will do that. Why does he hide himself if he is real? You can understand the argument, right? If God came down from heaven right now, then everyone would believe. Why doesn't God just do that? Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. And I've done a podcast on this, and you might be able to scroll back and go listen to this again. <coughs> but let me summarize it for you briefly. There was a prince who was looking for a wife. One day he was traveling into the countryside, and he went through a little village with his chariot, and he saw the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, a little peasant girl, poor and in dire circumstances. And he decided that he wanted to marry her. And so he went back to the palace and he spoke to his father about it. He said, Dad, I've met the most beautiful girl in that village down there. Beautiful peasant girl, poor peasant girl. I want to marry her. And Dad, can I go and fetch her, bring her to the palace and make her my wife? And the dad said something very clever, the king. He said, no, 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 no. Be very careful. If you go to her... And you arrive there with your chariots and your horses and, and she sees that you are the prince. And you go down on your knees and you ask her to come live with you in the palace. What is she going to say? Of course she's going to say yes. How can she say no to the prince? How can she say no to the beautiful palace? How can she say no to, the, to the, your majesty? She's going to be overwhelmed with the moment that she's going to be ripped out of her poverty. And of course she's going to say yes. And she's going to arrive in your palace and she'll come and live here with you. But you will never know whether she really loves you. You will never know whether she loves you for you. Because she will be overwhelmed with your majesty. So this is what you've got to do. You have to go dress like a peasant. Make yourself dirty. Live like a poor person. Go live in that village for a few months and years. Whatever it takes. Get to know that girl. Let her get to know, uh, let her get to know you for you as you are. Let her fall in love with your heart. With who you are as a person. And once she falls in love with you as a person and you fall in love with her, 
Then you can tell her that you are the prince of this kingdom. Then you can, when she's accepted you for you, for your heart, then you can show her your majesty and then you can bring her to the palace because then you will know that she loves you for you and that she's not overwhelmed by the fact that you are royalty. And that simply in a nutshell, I believe, explains the hiddenness of God. Of course, if God comes down from heaven now, and he reveals himself to everybody, his majesty and his glory, and he swirls the stars of heaven with his fingers. Of course, everybody would fall down on their knees and worship him. Of course they would. But they wouldn't do it because they have seen his heart. They would do it because they are overwhelmed by his glory and his power and his majesty. They will be forced to do it because they will see, oh my goodness, if I don't. I am meatballs. There's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, why God has, in a sense, hidden himself. He has hidden his glory. He had sent his son into the world as a peasant, dressed like a nobody, nailed to a cross, revealing his heart so that he could extract from humanity those who would love him for who he is. He doesn't want to overwhelm us with his majesty and his glory and his power and force us to bow down to him on our knees. He doesn't want to do that. So he hides himself and he gives us a chance to love his son and to love his heart and to accept him as he is before he comes. Because he wants us to be real with him. He doesn't want to force us and overwhelm us with his glory and his majesty. He wants us to fall in love with him first. Now, C.S. Lewis also wrote about this hiddenness of God. And I want to conclude with that year for us today. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it would be like when he does. Now, this is my words, not his. I mean, that sentence there is what he wrote. But think about this. What C.S. Lewis is saying, he's saying, you know, people want God to interfere and want God to do things differently and, and change things and answer everybody's prayers at the same time. Can he, but can you imagine what will happen when God does do that? Well, C.S. Lewis continues to say, when that happens, when God interferes in everything in this world, it is the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. People want, you know, this is my words, people want God to just intervene now. He, we, he, we want God to just change everything now like we want it to be. Oh, be careful. When you wish for that, it will be the end of the world. God is going to invade, all right? But is the good of saying you, what is the good of you are saying or you are on his side then. When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream. And something else, something it never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. Ladies and gentlemen, when God comes down in all of his majesty that everybody wants to happen, when God comes down, you don't have a choice anymore. You will have to fall down on your knees. You will have to accept who he is. So be careful of wanting that to happen. 
for this time, that time when God comes, for this time, it will be God without disguise. It will be God without being hidden. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you chose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Ladies and gentlemen, think carefully about what you believe. Think carefully now and choose your side now. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.